Hi, everyone. I'm Danny Lutz, host of the Chumps to Champs Fantasy Football Podcast on Spotify. If you're like me and you enjoy listening to the Health and Money Podcast, I invite you to pick up a copy of Ted's new book, Downsize Sooner Than Later, available at Amazon.com. The book features Ted's easy-to-follow 18 rules for retirement success, which curate the most pressing concerns for planning a secure and happy retirement. Take charge of your financial future and help support the show. Order your copy of Downsize Sooner Than Later at Amazon.com today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Health and Money Podcast. My name is Ted Stevenow. And today we're going to continue our journey through the book, Downsize Sooner Than Later, 18 Rules for Retirement Success. We've made it to Rule 15, uh, which is called Protect Your Mind. So as usual, we'll read through the chapter and then uh, stop at the end and go back and comment on some of the highlights. So without further ado, let's get going. All right. Rule 15, protect your mind. This is on page 113. In our earlier discussion about the glove compartment, we noticed that even though we begin with limited space, without deliberate attention, it easily becomes a catch-all for unwanted and non-essential items. Like the way we allow things to accumulate in a glove compartment, it is worth considering what we allow to accumulate in our minds. With the mind, rather than facing limitations on space, we face limits of time and energy. What we allow into our minds produces a compound effect. Will the input we allow into our minds move us in the direction of the things we want, or will it take us somewhere else? Will the input we feed into our minds be empowering or draining? Will it lead to a greater sense of fulfillment and purpose, or a greater sense of frustration and anxiety? I felt this rule was important to include because I have noticed how common it is for some seniors to allocate significant time daily to watching TV, listening to, reading about, and ingesting local, national, and political news. Some leave this kind of programming running in the background all day, like a form of white noise. Others spend time visiting news websites online or reading and forwarding emails filled with manipulative, negative, and alarmist doom and gloom. What do you imagine the accumulated impact of such input has on the quality of life over time? Will feeding our minds such information lead to greater happiness? Will it help improve our relationships with friends or family? Will it increase our general wisdom and outlook on life? Will it expand appreciation and meaning in our lives? Will it improve our capacity to live more fully and be stronger? The choice of whether to spend our undetermined number of remaining days consuming a diet of mentally negative, counterproductive, anxiety-provoking, and sensational junk is up to each individual. An alternative course is to be deliberate and constructive about what we allow into our minds each day. Jim Rohn once remarked about a seminar he regularly conducted on success habits. At the seminar, he would challenge participants to find out what poor people read and don't read it. This is sage advice. Garbage in, garbage out. Sadly, much of the media today is intentionally designed to overhype the worst of the worst stories and leverage the highest possible shock value. Such clickbait is aimed at getting attention and drawing viewers in at any cost. It should come as no surprise that some media is specifically designed for the purpose of leveraging the fears and anxieties of seniors. I say, turn it off. When John and I worked in politics, one of our goals was to inform as many people as we could about how ordinary citizens, regardless of party affiliation, could help improve the health of our political system through engagement in local party committees. However, we discovered that no matter how rationally or persuasively we made our case, there were some people who simply didn't want a solution. Why? 
because they'd rather sit and complain. For such individuals, awfulizing and complaining became a reward in and of itself. John used to call these individuals chronic bitchers. My advice here is don't fall into that trap. Don't let that be you. What if you turned off the negative input and oriented what you allow into your mind more deliberately and purposefully? As I write this, I get up at 5 a.m. each weekday. I go downstairs, make a cup of coffee, and let out the dogs. I find my phone and select an educational podcast or audiobook to listen to. I press play, and it runs from home to the gym and back. I also let it play while I start making breakfast for my wife and myself. Once she shows up, though, I turn it off and focus on her. Instead of waking up to doom and gloom, manipulative, garbage-centered media, I average an hour to an hour and a half of constructive input every day. In a year, this is over 350 hours of productive and educational input. A typical college class meets three hours a week for three months. In equivalent terms, the audio I listen to is like taking 10 college courses a year. This costs me almost nothing and has an amazing impact on my life. Compare that to spending the same time listening to news or muckraking political commentary. Most people have no idea the opportunities they miss by not more constructively using such time. Jim Rohn tells another story in which he asks the man, what did your television cost you? The person answers by stating the purchase price, $400. To this, Jim replies, that's not true. I think it's costing you about $40,000 a year, not to own it, but to watch it. Is junk TV programming and sensational online news really the best we can do with the precious time we have left? Is this responsible stewardship? Does this honor those we love who are now gone or those who have sacrificed so much for us to be here? Would they be proud of us for allocating our time in such a manner? Would they say the time that we have, that they no longer have, is being well spent? Tough questions, but they're worth asking. Here are some alternatives to consider versus habitual daily ingestion of negative and mentally corrosive media. These are bullet points again. Learn or do something new each day. Math problems, learn a foreign language, facts of history. Meditate. Try a guided meditation app like Headspace. Use mornings to get to the gym. Give yoga a try. There are countless routines available for beginners to advanced practitioners on YouTube or sign up for a local yoga class. Do you follow a spiritual or religious practice? Allocate time daily to studying, learning, praying, and practicing it. Do something difficult each day like learning to play an instrument, engaging in challenging artwork, such as composing music, drawing, painting, writing, crafting, sewing, needlepoint, knit, etc. Habitually spend time in nature. Take pictures of the best moments and keep a daily journal online or offline. Get more wisdom. Read about aging well, better health, better exercise, better diet and nutrition, how to improve your relationships, deal with loss, philosophy, history, etc. Read or listen to classics, poetry, or quality fiction to help maintain your imagination. Write that book you have always wanted to write. Keep a personal diary or journal. Assemble and organize your photographs, home movies, and stories so they can be handed down to the next generation. Without deliberate intention and direction, it is easy to let autopilot take you to places that are both unproductive and in the opposite direction of your hopes and dreams. In 10 years, who would you rather be? A person who has ingested 10,000 hours, 20 hours a week of manipulative, negative, shocking media, bummed out, cynical, anxious, and pessimistic, or a person who has spent 10,000 hours acquiring new knowledge, wisdom, and skills to put to work, wiser, stronger, better, more capable, and more fulfilled. The choice is yours. Become conscious of the inputs you are allowing into your mind. Make deliberate choices about what you will or won't allow in. From there, build a daily routine to keep yourself on track. Okay, well, that's the end of that chapter. A couple things, observations that, are, that really aren't here, but they're, they relate to this. Currently, my youngest son, Thomas, and I 
are watching a video series from a guy from the University of Toronto. His name is John Verveke, and he is an academic uh, professor in philosophy, uh, psychology. He's got a really good understanding of history, and he speaks a lot about something called psychotechnology. And one of the ideas is that because scientists and anthropologists look at human history and they say, oh, well, you know, Homo sapiens emerged maybe 200,000, 300,000 years ago. Uh, and then something happened about 70,000 years ago where we had this remarkable shift in cognition or cognitive ability. And so there are different theories about how that happened. Sometimes people, sometimes people talk about diet and uh, just uh, population growth and different uh, social relationship changes and just mental ability to understand stories and concepts. And Dr. Verveke has a very interesting theory that uh, we basically developed what is are called psychotechnologies. Where and you think, oh, what's a psychotechnology? What's some what's it, something they could somebody could teach me for my brain that would make my life exponentially different? It would just it would turbocharge my capacity. Well, a good example is math. Uh, numbers are a psychotechnology where we could write down on on you know whatever papyrus or etch into stone or the, the mud or whatever uh, shapes and symbols that would that would would represent count and the development of numbers as a concept for helping people uh, arrange uh, their lives and just in accounting and all the, all the benefits we receive from numbers. Uh, no, picking out numbers because that's an easy psychotechnology or reading, right? right? Being able to write a word on a paper is a psychotechnology. So you have this ability to all of a sudden put an idea on paper and it can stay there and be remembered and all this stuff. So I've heard a bunch of theories about this and then uh, I picked up another book just because I was kind of fascinated by this concept of psychotechnology. And this book is called Mind Magic by a guy named Bill Harvey. Not a very well-known book, I don't think, or I'm not sure. Um, I'd never heard of it before, but I was just really, I was searching psychotechnology online and his stuff came up. And one of the things he talks about in the beginning of his book is, is that one of the most amazing psychotechnologies that the humans ever came up with was really, were, were really words, right? So before we had words, we were in a really different place. And it took a long time before people could scratch them on stones and you know, cuneiform tablets and all this stuff. Uh, but that our physiology, our mental network, our, brain, our minds have dealt with and been integrating words uh, for a lot longer than we've we've integrated a lot of other things on and there's even beyond words or before words there's uh, nonverbal communication which is um, even you you might meet someone who's from another country and you may have no commonality in your language you have no common words but the chances are you can still have a lot to understand and communicate to you know between yourself and that person even without the language because you have nonverbal cues so if you smile like I literally was on the bike trail this morning and this lady was coming down uh, down the trail across from me, and she's from another part of the world, and, and I didn't say hello or anything because I had my headphones in, but she looked up at me, and I just smiled at her, and it just occurred to me, and she smiled back, and it just occurred to me, well, here, we just had a communication of, you know, peace and friendliness and, you know, hello, good morning, uh, without even using words. So the, this psychotechnology thing is, is huge. It, there's, it's very impactful in terms of how we feel and how we operate and how we see the world. And so one of the primary psychotechnologies, though, that isn't really necessarily highlighted by many folks, but I think is a, just a genius insight, is, it, is that we came up with words and that words have been a part of our world for a long time. And it, if you think about it another way, kind of fast forward into the future, while we have been reading as a human species, you know, for for technically thousands of years in, in, one, in various forms. It hasn't really been since Gutenberg and the press uh, that reading has become more widespread. 
when they first translated the Bible into English or into the vernacular, right? I shouldn't say English because it was all kinds of languages in Europe. Um, that was an, had an exponential change, and, and people could read the words themselves and interpret them on their own, and that caused all kinds of ripples through society. And, and so written word is a very powerful thing. And we, we say to kids today, you know, or at least when I was a little kid, reading was a prime thing. It's like, you know, I mean, even Jim Rohn, who I quoted in this chapter a couple of times, he's readers are leaders, you know, and he said, you got to read because, and, and I, I agree. I mean, reading is super important. If you're, if you can do it, you can learn so much. And I mean, I have literally shelves and shelves of books that I've read in my life. And, and uh, it's really been a, a, a wonderful thing. And it's really helped, helped me understand life better and get through things and just become more capable as a person. It's, it's a terrific technology. And, and if you can make a friend of it and enjoy it, and it's not just technical reading and hard books that are just technical treatises and all this financial stuff. Uh, instead, it, even just stories, simple, enjoyable stories, because of what, it do, what they do to your imagination, the relationships people have, all the things that are there. And Thomas Jefferson wrote very eloquently about the, the power of fiction and its utility in helping people think better, more clearly, and uh, to understand life in, in, in deeper terms. And it was just, uh, so, there's, so there's all this benefit that comes from reading, but check this out, okay? And I'll tell you all that stuff with the psychotechnology to actually come back to this idea of words. And what we're seeing now in the modern era, whereas, again, rewind maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago, you would hear the radio. You would hear people speak on the TV. You might go to a film, okay? But other, other than those things, you're pretty much hearing, I guess, record albums, too. There were some, most of them were just singing, but not to say just, because singing is important and music is very powerful, too. But spoken word, for the most part, came from sort of a narrow uh, funnel, of media outlets and then uh, the people that you met or the, you know just your the words you would hear for the most part were, were the words you heard physically in life with the people next to you and we what we've had in recent times just in the last five ten years has been this expansion through the internet of of spoken word in terms of podcasts and just more widespread media many many more outlets and so today uh, it's fascinating that somebody who might say well I'm not really a good reader, or I don't enjoy reading, or I can't, reading doesn't work for me, which is, a lot of people say that. I mean, they, they say hardly anybody reads books anymore. They say that uh, a nonfiction book, like this book I'm reading to you, that fewer than 10% of those books ever get finished by anyone. So the fact that we're covering this chapter, we're in a space that most people would never see, but because I'm putting it on in spoken word on a podcast, it has a much better chance of getting out there. So now, what about words and why, why do I highlight this? Today, we have a unique opportunity or we live in a unique time where many of the classic books, uh, great stories, if you don't like to read or you, you can't find the time to read but you've got all this other time available where you're doing other passive activities. So let's say you're washing dishes or you're riding the car or you're, um, you're walking along, a, you're taking a hike, you're exercising, you're doing, there's all these things that we do where we're doing some physical activity, mowing the lawn, right? We're doing some other activity that occupies our body or our, you know, ourselves, but we have an open opportunity to ingest audio. So a lot of people who listen to podcasts and the, the, the exponential rise of podcasts is crazy. I mean, there's just so many more people listening and it's discovering this media as a way to, to have entertaining you know, conversation. Well, conversations you're listening, but it feels like a conversation because it's got this informal tone to it. But this new kind of media has open the world, right? I mean, people are having more conversations, they're thinking about things, they're, they're, they're discussing things in more, more detail, they're exploring thoughts and ideas that they never thought about before because they they're now have this new source of, of information that they can easily use and work into their worlds. Now, 
when I think about this, I, I want to bring it back to the story we, or the chapter we just read. That's good news, but it's also got some elements where, you know, there's, we should exercise some caution, right? I mean, if I can walk on the bike trail in the morning and it's absolutely beautiful today, was, today's a hot, humid day in the Midwest, and, and, uh, but it's this really lush summertime. And when you're there in the morning and it's, even though it's kind of humid, it's, it's cool and the, the sun's coming up and the light's coming through and it's just this whole experience out there that probably would be, you know, from a certain standpoint, better experience if I wasn't listening to anything and just paying attention to the nature, which is, a, I think, a, a very valid argument uh, and a very valid approach to soaking up that, that whole participating in nature and feeling it and seeing it and, and letting it change my, my mental frame and, and put me in a place where you know, just I'm more grounded and more at peace. And just it's a, you know, there's a lot to be said about just experiencing nature just by itself. And, uh, uh, but at the same time, I could listen to something positive. I could listen to something that contributes to my well-being or I could listen to something that might take me in another direction, right? So if I listen to the news or, frankly, as much as I'm into financial stuff, I do not listen to mainstream financial media because it's just garbage, man. It's just, first of all, a lot of the advice is terrible and it's just, a, well, that's another story for another day. But uh, the, the greater point is that, so here we have this opportunity to shape our minds. Our, and, and, and according to this uh, Bill Harvey guy, he's like, he, he's, he's basically like, hey, you go back to 150,000 years, ago we didn't have that many words spoken we were we were more experiencing our world we were uh where this participation in the subconscious level of, of living was it was at a greater height and words while powerful and useful uh we only had a limited number of them coming in you know into our consciousness and affecting us it talks about spell casters the reason that that term will kind of is, is such a powerful term where people could cast spells but they're using words to, to have to have impact and shape on people's lives and he, he would argue, and I think he makes an interesting case, that we're, we're over, like we're bombarded by words today. And it's too much going on and it's causing confusion and it's making us uh, less grounded and, and maybe we would do better to have more time in, in quiet and contemplation. And he also talks about how one can gain insight in, in, in the quiet and uh, by, by uh, kind of separating themselves from the, from the day-to-day life activities and wants and desires for things and you know worries about outcomes and let those things go and live in a more relaxed space and and that actually opens the door to to having greater insight about life so that's that's an interesting approach and i i I think it's great i think there's a reason why meditation is on the rise is because people are kind of coming to this realization like i've got too much mental input i've got too many too much things coming at me they're seeking a quiet place right they're seeking a place where they can calm and so I, I'm I'm hip to that idea, you know. If I I definitely I mean one of the things that's one of my priorities for change in the next five to ten years is I'd like to spend more time meditating. I like to spend I like to get a better sense of my internal consciousness and be aware of my thoughts and observe observe my life more than just reacting to everything and having new ideas just birthed with meaning uh, that I might not want. I would rather have more of a uh, calm. Uh, perspective and have great, the ability to access greater insight from the calmness. But here in this chapter about protect the mind, I mean, you can see where I'm going with that, where you have, you have, it's a wonderful blessing to live in a world that has all the media that we have. Uh, it's a wonderful blessing to, to live in the world where we've got so much color and the video and the, you know, all the inputs and all these things that are available on screens and things that come, that, that come to us through technology. But I think there's just, you have to be careful. Uh, it's easy to get into a habit of listening to things that are actually damaging. And so w- when you think of how important 
the issue is of the input of the material that you and, and, and its impact. It's, I think it becomes worthwhile to say, well, if these things have such power to, to make me feel better or be happy or fulfilled or have greater understanding or to take me, conversely, in an opposite direction where I'm reduced and I'm not thinking you know, more broadly and I'm, I'm becoming fearful and I'm, I'm awfulizing and having these things that are, that are, that are manipulating me and scaring me. Um, so you, you, it's worthwhile to step, take a couple steps back and say, okay, I'm going to think about what I'm allowing into my mind. And everybody listening to this knows people who are in their senior years who have, and I'm not you know, giving them a hard time or whatever, I'm not faulting them. I'm just saying it's just, it just can happen that without care in this area, you can find yourself just in a position where you're ingesting a lot of negative stuff and it's making people tense and uptight and anxious and afraid. And, and it's just, if you could change your circumstances in such a way to say, I don't have to do that or I'm going to avoid that. Can I not do that? And furthermore, could I actually, instead of ingesting psychological or mental input that's causing me damage, what if I flipped that completely over and said, okay, I'm going to consciously focus on trying to find things that I can input that make me feel stronger and make me feel more enlightened that give me more power they give me more energy they give me more that actually exercise my mind just to, to, to maintain my acuity and and make it so that I stay sharp and I and I and I grow in insight and I grow in peace and calmness and and uh, and fulfillment and meaning uh, that would be much better right <laughs> so so I'm just saying it's one of those things where here uh, just noticing that that it's an issue right? It's, it's kind of the first step. It's like, hey, if nobody ever told you, look out for what happens. Look out for what gets put, in, in, put into your mind. You know, don't leave CNN or Fox News or whatever news you would leave, you would normally listen to on in the background all day, turned up really loud so you can, you know, you can, maybe your hearing is not as good. And I've literally been in a place with seniors where they're, they're, they're playing that stuff all day long, cranked up really loud. And I'm like, man, this is just awful. And, uh, you know, they're not going to listen to me, tell them to turn it off and try to do something different. But uh, maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. I, I, I don't know. But I, but I think this, as I've observed this, and it's like, hey, heads up to the, everybody. You, you know, as you get into this late, late stage of life, uh, it's worthwhile to, to be aware of, to be cognizant of the fact that managing these inputs can have a big impact on, on your quality of life and how you feel and what you think about and what you do. And, uh, and so I would suggest, um, you, you know, they, they say the idol's mind is the devil's playground, which is actually something we talk about in a, a rule that's coming up again from here. But I would suggest that here, thinking about it in terms of protecting the mind, right? I want, it to, I want, I want my mental acuity to be, to be, to be strong. So, it's, so I think it's useful to think about, to read stories that require imagination, uh, to play games, to do, engage in pursuits that are demanding so that I'm constantly, you know, I'm, I'm learning new things and I'm having challenges. Uh, on, on the one hand, I mean, that, that's one area that's important. But then secondarily is that let's, let's, let's measure or be concerned about, let's think about what's the impact of the input. Is the input making me, empowering me or is it, is it weakening me? And, and then you imagine you take both of those two ideas and you say, well, let's put those against time. Well, if I've spent 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, you know, consciously being aware of empowering my mind and, you know, gaining greater insight and greater peace and greater understanding and I'm moving into a healthier and healthier position as I deal with being a senior and all the obvious challenges that are coming, because it's tough. Getting old is not easy. Uh, am I going to be stronger for the future or am I going to be weaker, right? I mean, how can I, how can I almost invest my time or invest my mental energy, invest my mental, my cognition 
in a place that's going to bring me to a place I want to be so that I'm in a better space, better space later <clears throat> versus a space where I might, I might become kind of the angry curmudgeon person who's, you know, cl- closing his mind uh, rather than trying to maintain it and be healthy and, and, and have a, have a, a you know, just a happier, healthier perspective. So, so that is my thought. Protect your mind. Yeah. Just as if there's anything else in this chapter I want to comment on. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, I think we pretty much covered it. I, I um, you know, garbage in and garbage out, right? Uh, the, the, that's a computer term. But uh, that's that's basically the idea. So let's flip that over. Instead of garbage in and garbage out, let's say what what, what positive things and uplifting and mentally strengthening things can we do that give us a greater appreciation, greater you know fulfillment, greater happiness, greater meaning, uh, and that'll that'll bring us to a, to a better place where, where we want to be. So well, hey, that's that's probably enough for today. And uh, thank you again for listening. And of course, you can always end the show with the whole, you know, if you have any questions or comments, you're free to email me. I'm ted at tedstevenot.com. If you want to find out about other work I'm doing, my website is tedstevenot.com. Go to the Start Here page and you'll see everything there. And uh, of course, we've got to invite everybody to to head over to Amazon, pick up a copy of Downside Sooner Than Later to to read along or just to read on your own. And uh, hopefully you find it useful. And beyond all that, I really appreciate you listening. And until next time, have a great week. Take care. Bye-bye.